Pastor Xavier Reese on the importance of remaining faithful from beginning to end. The man Nimrod gained for himself a reputation. The man began to be a mighty one on the earth, and the outcome was that of a hero to the people for saving life. He was quite a guy. The man Nimrod began to be a mighty one on the earth, but ended up being a mighty hunter against the Lord. Everybody begins well. How will you finish? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If there's one sin that's plagued man from the very beginning, it's the same sin that caused one of God's mightiest angels to fall, and that's the sin of pride. Today, in his study of the book of Genesis, Pastor Xavier carefully exhorts us about the consequences that accompany those who forget God and try to make it on their own. Let's listen. Genesis chapter 10, verse 6 through 12, and chapter 11, verse 1 through 9 this morning. And the message is entitled, Nimrod the Rebel. There have been many rebels against God. The first certainly was Lucifer, the son of the morning, the anointed cherub, who was the choir director in heaven. He was lifted up in pride. He threatened that he would uh, dethrone God, and he hasn't stopped since. He led a third of the angels away from God. And all this is recorded for us in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Revelation 12, 4. There have been many rebels. Where we're at in Genesis, we've also seen that the entire world of Noah rebelled against God. And God destroyed the entire world except for Noah, his three sons, and their wives. But Nimrod stands out here very descriptive in the midst of the table of nations. And attention is called to him because he's a very important person, as we'll see. So what we want to do is look at him through a threefold lens. Let me read both of these passages. Chapter 10 there, verse 6 through 8 first. It says, The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Hibala, Sabta, Rama, Sabakha, and the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. If you're pregnant, you got some kids' names. There are some. Um, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. And he was mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Er, Kela, and risen between Nineveh and Kela, that is the principal city. Now, if you go to chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, he says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly, that they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. And they're confused their language. 
and they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. A threefold lens will give us a great picture of this man, Nimrod. First, we want to look at the person of Nimrod in verse 6 through 8 of chapter 10. Second, the power of Nimrod in verse 9 through 12 of chapter 10. And we'll finish up with the perversion of Nimrod in chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. Um, Nimrod, notice, was the great-grandson of Noah. We get this verse 6 and 7. His grandfather was Ham, the second son of Noah, which verse 1 gives us that of the chapter. His father was Cush, in verse 6 there, the first son of Ham, the area of Ethiopia. And his uncles were Mizraim, which is Egypt, Put, which is Libya or Somalia, and Canaan, the promised land of Israel. Now, his brothers, in verse 7, were five and two nephews, occupying the region of Arabia and Sudan. His lineage was of the curse line of Ham, through the prophecy of his character to be manifested in the future, as Noah prophesied in chapter 9, verse 25, when Ham discovered his nakedness as he lay there drunk, and he prophesied. It says a curse. It doesn't mean that he cursed his son because Ham did it, and his son Canaan, but he's prophesying predictively God knowing the character of that line. They, they would be ungodly. And as you go into the promised land, and we get into the, the law later on, you see that the, the uh, Canaanites were some of the most vilest people, immoral, sexual, everything else. Now, notice in the beginning of verse 8, Nimrod's name is interesting. The origin of the name means to rebel. The Mesopotamian origin, the word minurta, referring to a war god who also was called the arrow, the mighty hero. This individual, this Babylonian deity, whose cult assumed widespread importance in Mesopotamia during the late second millennial BC. Now, the form of Minerta served as a prototype for the composite Greek hero, Minus, associated with Nineveh, according to E.A. Spicer in his book In Search of Nimrod. Now, Nimrod began, notice, to be a mighty one on the earth. It says in verse 8. Now, the reference without doubt has to do with the change after the flood. The animals prior to the flood did not have fear of man or dread of man, and they were not given for food, for meat. Chapter 9, verse 2 changed everything. God says you could kill animals and they'd be for your food. And so the reference without doubt had to do with the hunting of animals. The man Nimrod gained for himself a reputation. Verse 9 is very clear. The man began to be a mighty one on the earth, and the outcome was that of a hero to the people. He was quite a guy. The dependency was appealing. The occasion led towards deception and spiritual blindness without his realizing it, as we'll see. But more than that, the heart of man is behind all this. Now, 
The man Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist who will equally be hailed and embraced by all the world. Everything I've told you in the first 11 chapters of Genesis in seed form, every doctrine is there and later on is unfolded in the rest of the scriptures. The person of Antichrist, as you know, will gain great reputation and confirm a covenant with the Jews for a seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. The world is constantly at war with Israel, particularly the Arab nations, and it's prophetic. The Bible says in the last day he would make Jerusalem a trembling stone and a focus of violence. The ongoing treaties that have taken place, 1948, 1967, 1973, and the salt things with uh, Kissinger and Nixon, and even the latest... Um, treaties uh, of Jericho and the West Bank, the negotiations, the press and map of road peace and stuff like that, they're all shadows of the ultimate treaty of the 70th week, the last seven years of tribulation that the Antichrist will propose. The giving of Jericho and Hebron have not appeased the radical Muslims, but have really revealed their more vicious and evil nature in their jihad as they kill innocent people, civilians. They don't go to war against soldiers, they go to war against innocent people. Those of you who have been to Israel with us know that we used to go to Hebron, Jericho, Bethlehem, when it was under the Jewish control. Clean places, safe places. They're handed back, they become dilapidated. We don't go there anymore. They don't want a piece of the land, they want it all. Yet when they had it all, they did nothing with it. The context identifies the Jews in the 70th week of Daniel. Jerusalem is implied by the phrase, your people, your holy city, in Daniel 9, 24, and 27. You can't mistake it, and you cannot apply that prophecy to anyone else. The first 69 weeks of Daniel, as you know, have been fulfilled. The seven weeks multiplied by seven come up the first portion to 49 years, which marks the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, the last prophet. So the first 69 weeks have been fulfilled. From the command of Artaxerxes to Nehemiah on March 14, 445 B.C. to the, I believe it was the 6th, I, I could be stand corrected, of April when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the coal of a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, 483 years to the day based on a 360-day calendar, which is the Genesis calendar, which is the flood calendar, which is the prophecy calendar. By the way, which is the Babylonian calendar. Interesting. The church is the bride of Christ being called out of the world. The church is going to be removed before the time of wrath, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. We will be caught up, harpossed, to the clouds. Now, the time remaining is one week then. It's the 70th week of Daniel, and it is the final seven years of tribulation and great tribulation. First three and a half is tribulation. Last three and a half, great tribulation. The period is referred to by Jesus in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. He speaks about it in all three synoptic gospels. Now, some believe that the event of ceasing the sacrifice has already occurred in Matthew 24, 21, but he's talking there about Titus coming in and destroying the nation. In Matthew 24, 15, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, flee to the wilderness. That's a sacrifice where the Antichrist will cease in the middle of the seven years after he builds the temple. We saw that in the book of Revelation, very, very clear. 
Not only that, Paul the Apostle says that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Not to speak of Revelation 3, 10, where it says that he will keep us from the hour of testing that will come upon all earth dwellers. Now, if you're a Christian, you're a heavenly citizen. You dwell in the heavenlies with Christ. You're not an earth dweller. And the article's there, the hour upon the entire world. As the flood was the entire world, the tribulation period will be for the entire world. The period of those seven years is Revelation chapter 6 to 19, as we studied that. So the person of Nimrod had a seeming humble beginning, as will the Antichrist. The world will hail him. By the way, if, if we are as close as I think, he's alive somewhere. Notice secondly, verse 9 through 12, you have the power of Nimrod. In verse 9 there, Nimrod became a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now some commentators take this to mean uh, that Nimrod was doing this before God, in other words, in a positive way. But the context does not agree in this because the adjective mighty is for emphasis. The majority of commentators interpret this to mean that he had gone from hunting animals to men's souls from the Lord. The word for hunter is basically uh, has the meaning to lie in wait in order to hunt wild beasts or catch birds. The word is used for one who is hunted. The context makes the difference how it's used. One who is persecuted by a tyrant such as Saul towards David in 1 Samuel 24, 11 and 26, 20. The word is used also for the adulterous woman catching that simple young man. Listen to Proverbs 6.26. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey, there's the word, upon his precious life. The indication is, notice, before the Lord, Yahweh. The word before means face or presence. The idea is against Yahweh. That's the context. The general consensus and indication is that the context refers to Nimrod's evil character before the Lord towards the hunting of men's souls away from God. Now, the Jerusalem Targum has this commentary on this passage. Listen. He was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord, for he was a hunter of the sons of men, and he said to them, Depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Therefore, he said, as Nimrod, the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. Matthew Henry, that old commentator, says the following. No doubt Nimrod did great good by his hunting instincts at the beginning of his career. And everybody begins well. But listen, listen. The important thing is that you finish well. Beginning doesn't mean anything. How are you going to finish? Now listen as he continues. But he, he would put his people under deep obligation by ridding them of the wild beasts that infested those early lands. But then as time went on and as Nimrod's ambition grew, he would seem to have taken to hunting men instead of beasts. One more. The Targum of Jonathan ben Israel. Quote, From the foundation of the world, none was ever found like Nimrod powerful in hunting and in rebellions against the Lord. 
The Syriac calls him a warlike giant. The word, which is rendered hunter, signifies prey, which we have affirmed, and is applied to the scriptures to the hunting of men by persecution, oppression, and tyranny. Hence, it is likely that Nimrod, having acquired power, used it in tyranny and oppression, and by rapine and violence, founded that uh, domination, which was the first distinguished by the name of the kingdom on the face of the earth. The first kingdom. World empire. By the way, which what the Antichrist is going to have. Notice that Nimrod became a proverb. This proverb read, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. You have it right there in verse 9. Perhaps in attempt to thwart the prophecy of Noah, chapter 9, verse 25, of the curse of Canaan. He was his brother, and that he would be the servant to his other brothers. And perhaps he says, no, 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 it's not going to happen. How many people fight against God? No, 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 I'm not a sinner. No, 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 I don't need salvation. I'm good enough. Really? Listen, temporary seeming success does not alter the ultimate decrease of God. Anytime you get your eyes on the wicked and you think that they have it better than you and you don't, that's why you don't believe in God, read Psalm 73. The psalmist said, I have washed my hands in honesty. He says, I was a fool. They walk on slippery, icy poles. I was like a beast before you, Lord. Who do I have in heaven but you? Who do I desire upon earth beside you? Don't get your perspective wrong. The end is horrible. The man had made himself an obstacle to eclipse God from the eyes of the people, as many have in history. He perhaps even had many of the people of Ham, the descendants, and Japheth under his command. I said, see? Now, what happened to that prophecy? Interesting. He was attempting to prove God wrong. Do you know that the majority of our nation is trying to prove God wrong? The intellectual community? They are so open-minded, their brains have leaked out. The man Nimrod began to be a mighty one on the earth, but ended up being a mighty hunter against the Lord. Everybody begins well. How will you finish? The problem with becoming popular is that people don't really know the real man or the real woman. He or she begins to do and act as the people expect them to in order to gain the support of the people. They're usually called politicians, but others follow. The process of popularity can be dangerous. A self-exaltation which is arrogant and blinding. If you've lived upon the earth long enough, you've had an eyeful, especially in our generation. They were more discreet, or should I say more deceptive in generations past. Today, there's no attempt to cover up anything. The product of popularity is power, which has a tendency to corrupt man. And the consequences are many, but twofold for sure. First, the idolizing of the man which opens up evil to him and immoral doors to his carnal desires and abuse, manipulating and exploiting people. That is absolute. 
Second, the compulsion to control people, even to the point of tyranny. Study man's history. Notice Nimrod established his own kingdom then, verse 10 through 12. In verse 10, the kingdom of Nimrod began in the land of Shinar, and it had um, four cities. The word Shinar means country of the two rivers, and as the ancient names for the territory later known as Babylon or Chaldean. This is the first world empire that would one day reach the highest imperial glory under Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon begins here. Notice in verse 11 and 12, the kingdom of Nirat extended to the land of Assyria, and it also had four cities. The first was Nineveh, situated on the river Tigris. The city was roughly 200 miles north of Babylon, as you know, which later became the capital of Assyria Empire and the city in which Jonah was sent. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The whole city repented. But 100 years later, they went back to the rebel. God destroyed them. That's the, the prophet Nahum. Wiped them out. They returned to the rebel. The city Kala is still called Nimrud after its founder, Nimrod. The entire number of cities was and is considered to have been a large metropolis called a great city. So these guys weren't cavemen. They were very, very sophisticated as we're seeing and as we'll see more in the text. Now, it has been said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you know, after wealth is no longer about money, some people have more money they will ever be able to spend. The intoxicating thing is the power that money brings, that now I can do whatever I want. I can boss whoever I want. I can break whoever I want. I can make whoever I want, and I am the hero. Power. Intoxicating. The 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years, will be interrupted by the Antichrist, the man of sin, having absolute power. He will arise on the scene as a man of peace, riding on a white horse with a bow with no arrows. Revelation 6, 1 and 2, as you know. The whole world will hail him. It will be false peace. When they see peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them, Paul says. He will have all seeming solutions, the problems of the world, Daniel eleven twenty one. He will help the Jews to build their temple. We saw that in Revelation 11, verse 1 and 2. The Jews have no temple right now. They haven't had for 2,000 years. Now, there are presently plans to build one. We have visited the temple society often, and they've shown us the garments of the priest. They've shown us the red heifer. They've shown us different things. They have a model of it. The Antichrist will build it. He will be fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel. He will declare himself God, by the way, Daniel 11, 36 and 37, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, and Revelation 13, 3 through 6. He is the anti-type, the fulfillment of the type. So the type points to the anti-type, which is the fulfillment. But the Antichrist is the ultimate fulfillment of all types. The Antichrist will have his source directly from Satan. He will be the incarnation of Satan to an extent. Second Thessalonians 2.9, Revelation 11.7. Even as Christ was the incarnation of man, God-man. 
The man of sin will have absolute power over all the earth, as did Nimrod. The power of Nimrod was used to turn men from God, as will the Antichrist. He's a very important figure right here. I've told you everything in the Bible is in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Pastor Xavier Reese and the revelation of God's plan for man as foretold in the Old Testament. And you can request a copy of today's compelling lesson, The Rebel, Nimrod. As always, you can ask for a CD for just $4. Now be sure and pass this important lesson on to your friends at church. The title to ask for once again is The Rebel Nimrod, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Unfortunately, rebellion has a rich history. Learn how you can break the cycle when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com